And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 122 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, March 14th, 2016. So over the last few days, the interwebs have been full of the shenanigans going on at South by Southwest. That's the yearly sojourn, of course, of more than 72,000 hip and cool people who invade Austin, Texas to get smashed at parties and rationalize to themselves. Yeah, we're actually here to build a new innovative brand, right? So this year, of course, was kicked off with a keynote from President Obama, who called on the technology industry to solve the nation's problems. He told the South by attendees, I'm actually here to recruit you. Unfortunately, when told that solve the nation's problems, there would be no stock options, no pantry full of gluten-free snacks, no free Uber car, no 35% time to work on their new social startup. Yeah, the attendees gave up and headed downtown to put on their VR helmets and fly through the New York Times. So, of course, here at PNR's This Old Marketing, we wanted to join the party. And so this week, we held our own different kind of South by Southwest, a bit of a side event. We called it Polizzi and and Rose to Yak, or hashtag party for short. So while we couldn't get President Obama, we did manage to get a few luminaries involved. Our keynote event, which had no lines, but we made people wait anyway, was on, of course, content marketing. It was titled, Hacking Future Content Brands and the Innovation Things and Why They're Better Than the Internet of Things. To get in, you had to prove that you didn't own a Samsung Galaxy. We had a session on native advertising, of course, and it was called A Personal Media Journey, Saving Indigenous Advertising from the Scourge of Owned Media. To get in there, you had to hold up your Bud Light and and recite the words to a Pitbull song. And another session we had on the strength of startups and content. It was called Skinny Genes of Content Startups, Finding Social Justice in the Word of Content. To RSVP for that session, you had to have an excellent Patrick Stewart impression and yell, Make it so! And of course, our party was awesome, featuring DJ Orange Blossom playing all the songs you haven't heard yet because you're so hip. And to get in, you had to bring in your Starbucks coffee with a, basically with an ironic name that you've used before. And so our party continues because, of course, unlike South By, our PNR party is here every single week without fail. And to help me get episode 122 started, I need to introduce my friend, my colleague, and the life of the only content marketing party you're ever going to need to attend, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I'm- Doing great. You have to, you know, tell the audience what you actually think of South by Southwest. I don't think they can actually pick that up in your in your opening. Look, hey, here's the thing. I will say this about South by. I I used to go to South by when it was actually just a music uh, festival, mm-hmm. and because um, I grew up in Texas, and um, and I used to go to South by Southwest and go to the music festival, and it was amazing. It was awesome. And even in the first few years of the interactive festival, um, you know, I would argue probably up until 2008 or nine, it was still, I think, interesting. And I think, you know, I don't know, it just feels now and, and, you know, look, this is there's definitely some sour grapes here, right? You know, I I'm not I wasn't invited. So it's like, you know, it's like Jada, it's like Jada Smith, uh, you know, yelling about the the Academy Awards. You know what? You kind of weren't invited. You know, it's like so me bitching about the the, you know, the South by Southwest is like, yeah, you kind of weren't invited, Robert. But, you know, I think it's become sort of a big party, which is totally fun for those who go. But I don't really see a lot of business value in it, I guess. Well, you know, you anymore. do. You could submit a session if you 
wish to. I did submit a session this year. Oh, I was you actually did? I, now I didn't now I didn't submit a session. You submitted I, a, the, a panel with somebody else. Somebody yeah. asked me. Yes, I, I've had three different people ask me if they could include me on their panel submission, and I was more than happy to do that. I was you know. I was more than happy to participate. Now, I, I'm not, as you know, I'm not one of those kind of people who are like, go vote for me, vote for me, you know, and put a whole campaign yeah, you together. Did. Yeah, You know, and so that's what you kind of have to do. And so I didn't do that. So um, I have only myself to blame, I suppose. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there it is. Well, it's been, South you know, Bay. it's been a few years. I spoke there, I think it was 09 and 10. I think is one when, when I spoke there and uh, did one panel, and then Jay Bear and I did a little thing there. Yeah, I, that was fun. It was, I, that was the open the kimono thing, wasn't no, it? No, no, no. That was at Blog World. The oh, okay. this was this was all about professional content marketing for professional services. Was the last time gotcha. I spoke there, and we had great. It was, it was huge. It was lines out the door. We had a smaller session, so it was great. It looked it looked full, uh, but the the. I got to tell you that the after party stuff, because we have a lot of business relationships still going strong for people that I met there. So from that standpoint, and we, of course, our publisher, Peter Loyal's there right now, I'm sure not having any fun at all, oh, working, no, a, you know, yeah, working the whole exactly. time. But I do know that business does get done from that okay. standpoint. I stand corrected. I absolutely stand but corrected. I'm, then. I, yeah. I haven't gone in the last couple of years purposely. Just, I mean, I, it, it takes a lot of energy takes a lot of energy <laughs> a lot of energy drinks it's what the young kids Ex- do these days exactly it's just a little bit different i don't feel like staying up all hours of the night to well to, to whatever all right. well but, then you there you have it all right well shall we to the new actually well, you know before we yeah, actually before get to the new right, real we, quick real quick i yeah, got a couple absolutely. brief um discount codes that i want to give out so we have a couple promotions for this old marketing listeners uh so first a 200 dollars discount code for content marketing world 2016 but if you want to use this code, which actually takes you back to early bird pricing, you have to use it before the end of March. So as today, we are speaking on Pi Day. I mean, we didn't, you didn't even talk about Pi Day. Happy Pi Day. I was going to talk about Pi Day, but South by sort of, yeah. Anyway, right. so, so basically, you've got 16 to 17 days to use it. The code is, all caps, PNR, PNR200. PNR 200 to get $200 off your registration to see content leaders from Lego, Bank of America, Visa, 3M, Intel, Microsoft, Rockwell, the whole, you know, 50 plus other brands. We're going to blow it out of the park this year. We want to see you there. We want to make sure our this old marketing listeners are there. PNR 200, go to contentmarketingworld.com. The second promotion is a friendly reminder, open enrollment for CMI University ends on March 31st. We only do this, we're only doing this four months a year, so... Basically, if you want in in the first quarter, you have to register for CMI University by the end of March. This whole marketing listeners get $100 off access to the program. Uh, the code is CMI Podcast. Now, that's all lowercase. See, these people are really trying to mess with me, Robert. I get one that's all uppercase, and I got one that's all lowercase. But there you go. So CMI should. <laughs> See if my we podcast, should, lowercase. What, what should I do? What you say? I should. We should set up a, a a combo pack. This is so we can't do this. Obviously, well, we should set up a combo pack where if you do both in celebration of Pi Day, we'll give you three hundred and fourteen dollars and fifteen cents off of both. 
Well, if they do, if you do both, let us know. We'll give you four, we'll give you an extra fourteen dollars off. How about there? That? That's we'll what I mean. It but it'll be in celebration. There you go. Just let us know if you signed up for both. Right. Send us the email registration stuff, and we we're just making this stuff on the on the fly. I don't even know if we can do this, but we're gonna do it. I'll take it out of my own pocket <laughs> if we need to. So CMI podcast, all lowercase. Go to contentmarketinguniversity.com. Uh, well, class size is growing. We're gonna see uh, upwards of more than thirty percent attendees this year uh, in the curriculum of course you put together an awesome new curriculum it's fantastic and uh, and make sure we want to see you there so we've got content marketing world and content marketing university and uh, that's all the promotion i have today absolutely there you go now we can now we can now we can get to the news and it was actually i think a little bit because of south by a bit of a slow news week um but we have lots of interesting things to talk about for sure um and the first one comes to us courtesy of our friends at the alphabet or the goog as we like to call it google is letting celebrities and businesses post directly to search results fascinating story here that comes to us courtesy of theverge.com and the opening of the article starts out by saying google has begun experimenting with an entirely new format for search results, which could eventually let any brand, celebrity, or organization have a dedicated Twitter-like feed built right into the company's search engine. Google first started employing it last month by letting presidential campaigns post lengthy debate rebuttals, and later by curating candidate stances on key issues like gun control and immigration. The design of these search results is similar to Google's mobile cards, which can be swiped as well as clicked or tapped in order to expand for more information. This uh, this fascinating. Now the article then goes on, Joe, to talk about how it's a little different than the Google thing that we talked. To. I think we even talked about it um, last advanced, month. Advanced uh, the advanced mobile pages. Yeah, and, that thing. And, it's yeah. different, and it's this Google Posts thing, which there's some confusion over whether this is related to or the same as Google Posts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's, it's a, I mean, basically what this is, if you look at it, is Google letting you post content directly. Now, they're saying they're only going to allow this for celebrities and notables and stuff like this. But you have to figure at some point they're going to they're going to either make this paid or democratize it down to let anybody do it. Am I am I wrong there? Well, I'm trying to figure this out because the, the, the example they give is from a, a jewelry store in Buffalo, Andrew Jewelers. And I actually went to it and I was checking it out because and, and if you go to Andrew Jewelers and you type it into Google search, you get this uh, almost Tumblr-like blog, yeah, blog posts exactly. that are in there and you can click on them. And there's nothing flashy about them, but it is content that Andrew Jewelers is promoting. And my question is, is it what uh, – can I take over somebody else's search? Could, well, or can you pay for – or can you pay against keywords? Well, or that's what I'm wondering because right, right now it's yeah. free. Right now, it doesn't cost right. anything. They're exactly. sort of testing this. But so my question is, if somebody wanted to buy, let's say, can anybody buy the term content marketing? What if they wanted Content Marketing Institute? I mean, I want that. I don't That's want. Right. I don't want exactly. nobody, anybody else to get it. So what? What? What happens there? So it's a little bit like, how are they going to set the rules for who gets that? I guess, and I'm I'm assuming there's more than one Andrew Jewelers in the world. Oh sure, of course. So, yeah. Which I mean, Andrew and how will they start? Yeah, it? well, how are they going to start um, figuring that out? Where you do have namespace collision on you know people who have you know the same name and or the same company or the same quite frankly competitors to each other. Who's going to start? It's it gets really interesting really fast. You know, you have to figure that this is like we talked about last week with Facebook's entree into the mobile you know content space and we've talked about before with google trying to this is really trying to figure out in a mobile world what you know how to deliver content 
um, in the fastest and, 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 and most effective way. Well, even, but even on desktop. So they got rid of the right rail. We, we talked right. about that what, exactly two right. episodes ago. So you get rid of the right rail, which is fine. I can't advertise out there. But now, even though they're saying they're not charging, this says, it says right here in the article, Google says it does not plan on charging for this feature. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, don't believe that. Sure, that's, yeah, yeah right. I totally exactly. believe that. I mean, they open this up for monetization. It's a billion-dollar property day one. Oh, I mean, can you imagine? Day I mean, now, one. Yeah, I mean, but this is – it's going to be crazy if they open up the, the floodgates here. I mean, this is this is paid media Armageddon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Getting into – this is – you talk about SEO and, 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 and search engine marketing and getting your content out. I mean, this would be huge. So, well, yeah, but th- that's the thing. Like, do you already – do you have to be a Google AdWords customer? To get this, that's the thing that I want to know. We've got to find out more information on this because this seems like you could game the system too much on a, on a search results standpoint. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's just not that's not how Google built itself. It was supposed to be, even though we know it's not. It's supposed to be democratic. It's supposed to be the best content rises to the top. Of course, that's not true. But – they, that's what they're. That's the, the whole. That's the ultimate grail. The holy grail. That's what we're, we're yeah. searching for. And this seems like it would not uh, be additive to that process. But I've got to say, like, if you are a small company of any kind, because because the example they use is a small business, small company, mid-sized, large brand. I'd be looking heavily into this and making sure that I've at least got my my own branded search terms settled. That's the takeaway. Yeah, yeah that's the takeaway is to start. You know, either ask your search guys about this or go search it out yourself um, and start looking at this because this could get interesting really, really quickly here if 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 they, you know, if you can't, you know, well, just like you said, right, go nail down your own sort of terms, keywords, your brand and understand how it's going to impact you because I think it's I, I think it will. Yeah, but I smell <sighs> this is so hard to regulate. It's going to be. Oh, <laughs> I, welcome. <laughs> I don't welcome to Google. Oh right? my gosh, this yeah. is I. This is a little concerning. I don't know if I'm like really excited about the opportunity. I'm like, this is could be a mess. But anyways, right. that's yeah. yeah. That's why we're just supposed to rant and rave about it. Exactly we move on. Right. So everybody, have, all we, our listeners right. have to we're, deal with we're it. We're just two chuckleheads that don't have any answers for anything. Who right? cares? <laughs> Google, do whatever you want. We don't care. Go let everybody else deal with it. All right. All right. Moving on to our next story here. Big hat tip, by the way, to two folks here who sent us this story. Um, Erica Heald uh, and James Gardner both. Thank you very much for sending this over through the hashtag on Twitter. We really, really appreciate it. The headline here, the New York Times acquires an influencer marketing agency. Hello, society. We've I mean, I mean, I want to pat ourselves on the back, Joe, because I don't know how long we've been predicting this to happen. And here we go. The New York Times is expanding its native ad studio, the one we've talked about many times on this show, with the acquisition of Hello Society, a digital marketing agency owned by Science Inc. Los Angeles-based Science Inc. both invests in startups and builds its own companies, and it launched Hello Society, which it fully owned back in 2012, as an analytics platform for Pinterest marketers. Since then, it's broadened beyond Pinterest to platforms like Instagram and YouTube, as well as turning into an agency that connects brands with influential social media users who can help promote their marketing efforts. This makes so much sense to me. I can't even tell you. But what do you think about this? This is, I mean, is this, is this the New York Times basically saying, okay, we're in the we're in the agency business now? Well, they're 
this is this is the most critical p- portion of this story that that caught my attention. So the the Times CEO Mark Thompson talks about T Brand Studio. So hello, uh, what's it called? Hello Society. Hello Society hello will Society. be a part yeah. of T Brand Studio. So basically, the native advertising sponsor content group within the Times, and basically. Uh, Mr. Thompson says that they're getting more and more inquiries to do things outside of the New York Times. Yeah, that exactly. right there. So, <laughs> this there, there's there's endemic and non-endemic content creation, content promotion. <laughs> endemic, yeah. endemic is everything that they've been doing. It's things on the New York Times site. It's native advertising. It's stuff right. that has a subdomain related to the New York Times that says paid or sponsored. And they only do things uh, inside the walls of the New York Times, although it's sponsored or paid. He just green-lighted a non-endemic play, which That's means right. they're going to go outside and they're going to start creating all kinds of, of content products and services for, for big brands that have nothing to do with the New York Times. Now, I don't know if this is good or not. And there's a you can make a case. I mean, when I was at Penton Media, we really focused heavily on endemic because we thought that was our competitive advantage. It was very hard for us to go out and say into finance and and go work with a large bank because we didn't have that expertise there, or, or we we wanted to leverage some of the tools that we had for promotion and audience development inside instead of just going outside. But you can make a case in this respect that hey, there's. There's a lot more opportunity out there, and they don't have to be uh, just in this little shell of, oh, we have to do everything. You know, we got church and state issues with the New York Times, and there's only so much they can do. And that's true. There's only so much they can do inside the New York Times. Now they can basically go compete against any of the large agencies out there. Well, that's right. And, and, and more specifically, around the idea of influencers, right? And so looking at social media and the influencers that these guys have spent, um, you have to figure some time really getting a good methodology and a good approach for solving. And this becomes a promotion engine outside the bounds of the New York Times properties for them to start using the idea of influencer marketing to pull people into these native, you know, these endemic pieces that you're talking about where they actually create something and then build the ecosystem around that to be able to promote it outside the walls of the New York Times. It's it's a very smart move, I think. Um, do you really think it's a smart move? I do. I absolutely think it's a smart move. You know, so look, I mean, we've talked about this on a couple of shows before where We've talked about the, the, the real thing. You know, when we talked about IBM acquiring agencies, we've talked about Capital One acquiring agencies. There's a lot of agency acquisition going on right now. If you're the owner and or proprietor of a small or a medium-sized agency right now, you're feeling pretty good about life because talent is becoming very, very hard to come by. And really good talent is even more difficult to come by. And so that's really what's at play here is, is the acquisition of the talent rather than the company or the business model itself is them taking the talent that they can pull in from this agency and ultimately mold it into whatever their, you know, sort of the T-Brand Studios goals are, or but having said that. I have, you know, as they say in the article, right, we're not in the market for agencies where they weren't actually looking to acquire a bunch of agencies, but this one just seemed to them to be a no brainer. And to me, it's a no brainer too, because they can start to use, you know, if you think about the success, right, even something as blatantly on the nose as what happened with the, um, the HBO and, and Orange is the New Black thing that they did, yep. right, which was a, you know, I think a successful, you know, it certainly by all accounts, it was a successful idea here for native advertising. And so 
Couple that with getting into the influencers who could have helped promote that, including the stars of the show and or people who are in some way second and third degree connections, but celebrity and influencer like around that. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a really interesting thing for them to go be able to monetize for a service. Yes, we can create this wonderful thing for you. Yes, we can have it sit within the New York Times properties, but we can also do influencer outreach to all these people who will help us promote it as well. It's actually not and that it's, much. It's actually, it's a good point. It's actually not that much different than what their go-to market strategy was before. They just said, Hey, we have the audience and this is just a second, a different kind of audience. Hey, right. we have, that's exactly. Yeah, it. So it's base. it's the same cell. It, I, I guess it, it'll be, it'll be interesting to think whether, let's say we go out to the year 2020 or 2021, whether or not, a T brand studio or their their custom division is generating more revenues than the Times itself. That's right. that's what I think well, that's what we're going to see. I think yeah. that's I think that's inevitable. I mean yeah. I, I don't I mean unless meaningful certainly maybe not ever surpassing but certainly meaningful well, to the business. I mean if you sure. look at look at Vice and and look at BuzzFeed they're already doing it. So I mean the new fair media yeah, companies the majority of their uh their their dollars are coming from Brands telling stories in some way. Yeah. So who's to say that the New York Times doesn't want to get on that action? I, I think they do. I think, I think they, they do. clearly do. I yeah. think they do. I, I think they absolutely do. They're doing it, John. They're doing it. <laughs> okay. It's going to be one of those oh, episodes. It's, yeah, it's going to move quickly <laughs> into that. Right. You know, all right, let's yeah. move along to our next story here. And this comes to us courtesy of marketingland.com. And the headline here is here we go again the engagement crisis. Uh, in content marketing and social media. All right, well, that's the first time we've seen those two paired together as part of the crisis. But the article opens up and says, asks, does your brand's Twitter account seem like a ghost town? How about your Facebook and LinkedIn page? If you've noticed a drop in social engagement, web referrals, blog traffic, and shares, you're not alone. Buffer lost nearly half of all social referrals to the branding blog from 2014 to 2015. Facebook referrals to the top 30 major publishers dropped by 32% from January to October 2015. This all according to Simple Reach data published by Digiday. Early in 2015, Forrester discovered that user engagement on brand social content continued to fall. And the worst part? Companies are creating more stuff than ever. They're investing in social, they believe in content, but they're seeing less ROI, return on investment, from more effort. And so the article goes on to talk about all sorts of things related to stuff we've talked about from the Track Maven study that recently came out, um, basically talking about how we're in the midst of an engagement crisis because everything's getting bigger while we're not addressing the audience's needs. What do you think about this? I actually really like this. I mean, First of all, the whole first part of it, we, we've talked about many, many times. Uh, right. And, and just newsflash, social media is a paid thing. I right. mean, it's this is – I don't <laughs> exactly. know how many times we – if you want to reach people on, let's say, Facebook and you want to actually have it work for you, you're probably paying money. I mean, this is – That's right. And so uh, you right. can throw all the content you want at it. It's probably not going to help. But I think there's – That's a- the good and – that's the good and the bad of social media. You know, the big three, certainly, right? When we look at Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, depending on your strategy – that is broadcast media. That is ABC, CBS, and NBC. They are walled gardens of communities where there are lots of people gathering to view content. But guess what? You can pay to target them, but you're not going to get a show on that broadcast network unless you pay for it. I mean, the 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 whole bottom of this article I like because, I mean, I'm trying to find the right 
a portion of this, but it says at the rate of change today, there's no way marketing teams will ever grow fast enough to scale for all the different channels available to our boy, audiences. Boy, does that sound familiar to you? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's why that's why we need to stop for a second and look around. Right. And basically the case that they're making here is that you're not going for a huge amount of scale. You're going to focus on niche audiences where you can actually build a relationship through social, through a couple channels that make sense to you. And that that's where it can work. That's where it can absolutely work. Of course. But if you're trying to reach as many people as you can leveraging Facebook and go for the big viral hit, not nah, you know what? That's that's not going to happen. So pick, you might get one, spots. you yeah. might get two, you might get 30, right? You know, it all depends on sort of the luck of the draw there and how you and how you get in there. But guess what? The 30 that you might hit organically or the four that you might hit organically may or may not be what it is you're trying to do, right? I mean, in other words, it's reaching the audience that you're trying to reach. It's it's really nice to get, you know, a million views on your video or a, or a million shares across different Facebook platforms or anything like that. But then who is it actually getting shared with and what's the purpose of it being shared? Is it because, you know, one of the things that I'll rave about in a minute here is this um, you know, that Dos Equis is is finishing their most interesting man in the world um, campaign. And I think they've done a really interesting thing with social media and the way they've done their media. I won't sort of tee it up now, but it's that kind of thinking and strategy of how to use social for what it's really good for and letting it drive sort of the interesting things that we can do to and or for a niche audience that we can deliver value to. I, there's a part in here that I it says uh, at the end of one of the sections, mobile and social aren't channels anymore; they're behaviors. I love that. Yeah, isn't that my, something? My friend Tim, yeah, my friend Tim Walters talks about that. He's recently where he's talking about mobile isn't a platform; it's a behavior, right? And it's and it's true, right? We're starting to see much more research on that now, where mobile and social aren't really technology platforms or themselves sort of content platforms. They are more, they change more of the behavior of how we interact with content. And so they are actually better addressed as behaviors than they are as sort of platforms. Well, the, the other thing, and I'll talk about, this is one of my raves in, in the article. I don't want to give the whole thing away like, like you are, but you, if you're going to do this, let's say that you're going to look at Facebook. You've got some of the greatest uh, well-funded media companies in the world that are going all in let's say on facebook and they've got you know they've they've got amazing journalists behind them and they're really trying to figure out the algorithms and they're they're working with facebook directly on some of these things and they're creating really compelling content well if you're (laughs) that's that's if you're just going for the big scale that's who you're competing against unless you're just going for a small segment of an audience and i think i think in a lot of cases any brands listening to this, you're probably just not, you're, you're almost like getting out of the Facebook thing. You're saying, okay, well, we need Facebook. We're going to use it as a paid platform. And other than that, we're probably not using it. That's right. I think that's true. Do you agree with that? I mean, yeah, well, I, you in, know, in a lot, so I, it's for, for bigger brands that are, that are, unless you're going to take it really seriously and do a series of like we're seeing it work. Like I, I talked about before Gary Vaynerchuk's series on Facebook that he does and he leverages it right inside of Facebook and they're really compelling. They're weekly. They're consistent. It's working well for him. I think if you did something like that was really authentic, you could make it work. But right. Well, and the other thing that he talks about in sort of his you know, jab, jab, hook, or hook, hook, jab, 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 right hook, jab, jab, hook, hook, jab, jab, um, (laughs) is sort of this idea, which I'd love this story that he tells when he talks about when, so he writes a post and he really targets a niche audience with this post. And and the example he usually uses, he says, look, I write a post that says, 
what what wines you should be serving if you graduated from Princeton uh, in the 1980s. And so, and he writes a post like that. And then what he does is he actually goes and buys promotional space on Facebook that targets 1980s graduates of Princeton in New, that now live in New Jersey. Yep, yep. And then in that blog post, he's got calls to action for, you know, those wines, of course. He, you know, he talks about them and reviews them and how awesome they are. And, and then he's got links that you can actually go buy them there. And he gets, as he says in his talk, he gets tremendous results from that because he's focusing on delivering value to a niche audience in a very particular way and then using the social media networks to actually use their targeting and ability to reach those people in a really, you know, in a paid method. And I think independent of what he also does on an organic side of reaching out to a community and sort of spreading it on a place where he knows those audiences will aggregate for all kinds of things and he'll catch the odd piece and he'll get organic reach to the odd piece that he gets and if he does better he'll do a little more and et cetera, et cetera. and sort of having a constant pressure on that his more focused attempts his more focused sort of uh efforts are around this paid idea and and really pulling people into that owned media experience and i think that's a that's a really good that's a really good way to think about it from from the way i'm i'm seeing mm-hmm. brands a smartly approached social media. Yeah, I mean, I think you pick your spots, right? And I yeah, think it's exactly. still, and we're going to talk more about this in a second, but it's still, you have the own platform somewhere that you're going to be leveraging. And then you're like, okay, well, where do I leverage paid at least to, to reach this particular niche audience? And then where do I leverage like ongoing building relationships over time? That's part of that content experience where you're building your expertise. Right. I, and, and, and which, I mean, it segues beautifully really into the, the next story which is this, you know, where, where we're talking about uh, Avinash uh, Kaushik, who's the the evangelist with Google. Um, and he just put out a new blog post just the, at the end of last week and basically saying uh, the headline of the blog is I'm starting a new newsletter, rented versus owned. And he goes on in great detail. It's a very long post to talk about why owned uh, what he calls owned audiences um, and owned media is really important for him building his business and how he's really lost um, a lot of the efficacy that he was getting out of Google Plus is the one he uses for an example. And he works for Google. I mean, he's a Google evangelist and he, he basically says, I want you to sign up for this newsletter because I want to be able to address you when I, when I, when I want to. And it's a it, you know, and he he goes on for a very lengthy argument about why he's really now shifted his belief to having an owned property is really is really really important. I mean, this is this is big. I mean, this is what we've been talking about forever. Yeah, well, the- and it's you know the, the the funny thing is is we you know we, when we have talked about this, there's been a couple of things we've sort of we've sort of drawn the separation between blogger. And, you know, the blogger who operates as a media company and is trying for, obviously, for reach and eyeballs and engagement with content much more like a publisher rather than a brand or a product company that's looking, quite frankly, for changing a consumer behavior to become more enamored with or become more aware of or become more loyal to a product or service, right? And so those two things, not that they're in conflict, but they certainly are a little bit separate in terms of why you would want an owned media property versus putting all your eggs into the shared media basket. And others have done this, right? When we talked about this, we talked about Mitch Joel sort of saying, well, here's why I write for Facebook now and write lengthier posts because I can get this engagement, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And here's the other side of that. This is Avinash basically saying, look, yeah, I can go write a big post on Google Plus now where I have, I don't know, whatever it is, 100,000 people sort of that, that plus one me. 
but I'm going to get like 12 people to, 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 to interact with that. And I can go write this, and at least if I get twelve people to interact with it, I know that they're that they're actually reading it and getting value out of it. But it's actually it's almost like the last article and this one were meant to go together because he he says investing in less he's investing less in shallow transient relationships, which is how he views social, and right. he's investing more in deeper personal relationships, and that's how he views owned. So to to the point about Google Plus, that's what's amazing. This guy works for Google. And he said he had 496,601 followers on Google+. Google changed their algorithm, and now when he does some, does a, creates a piece of content and posts it on Google+, he says normal engagement is now 12 people. Right. 12 of 500,000. And right. that's what we're seeing. Facebook's done that. Twitter's doing that. LinkedIn's doing that. I mean, they're all doing it because they're, they're, they're creating their own algorithms so they can monetize them. And we are left in the lurch. Uh, and for whatever you – I mean – you know, I've got I've got a hundred thousand uh, people following me on Twitter, and I think that's pretty cool. Although I think in a couple months it's going to be pretty useless because Twitter's going to show what they want to show. It doesn't matter. So right. Anyways, I love this take. I think yeah, this is no, the, it's, I think it's, this it's, is the right direction. You focus on building relationships with the right people. This is a media model that's worked since the dawn of time, and we went away from it for a while and focused on, hey, let's we can reach all these kind of people for free. Well, that's not true anymore. You just made the point. Yeah, and now here. Well, we're. and here's the, here's the, here's one important thing that I'll that I'll that I'll just uh, and we can end on this, which is why I think this is such an important takeaway for people who work in companies or work in larger, you know, organizations where they've got separation by teams, right? So there is a social team who's working on getting engagement out on Twitter or getting engagement out on Facebook, getting people to share and to engage with those audiences out on those social platforms and have built entire infrastructures to be able to do that and are now with another team in many cases building the own media properties, the blogs, the digital magazines, the webinar programs, the books, whatever it is, to sort of act as owned media. In many cases, the culture in the business is quite frankly, with those two teams, the idea is how do I build an audience on this platform? And so the goal of the social team may be how do I build an audience on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, et cetera. And to, in my mind, that's the wrong goal. Because as it, as Kaushik is or Avinash is, is 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 saying here, and I actually commented on his blog and, and and suggested this, social media here should be a flow, right? It's it's not a pool. It's not where we want to pool audiences and keep them because, quite frankly, as they pool, we just they get deeper and deeper, and we lose our ability to reach them. And Avinash's experience is exactly what I've seen in so many brands. You get, you know, you get 50 and the 50 are there and then you get 100 and 50 are there and then you get 300 and 50 are there and then you get 100,000 and four are there, right? And that becomes a game that we can't win over time. But if we treat social media as a flow for it to flow into our owned media so that we can at least make them to some percentage of them addressable over time. Now, all of a sudden, we have the permission to communicate with them when we want to. Now, it's up to us then to keep that relationship alive, to keep the content so great that they don't unsubscribe, to keep that content so great that they actually do something. But at least it's up to us. Yeah. It's like, you know what I mean? You it's nurture not that relationship. To, we can nurture that relationship over time, and it's not, it's not out of our control of whether we can actually even speak with them or not. And that's, that's the real difference here, and that's hopefully the takeaway that we can we – Yeah, can it doesn't – you're right. It doesn't end with the subscription. It begins, right? Right. <laughs> you have to think right. now the work begins that you have them as part of your addressable audience. 
That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Agreed. Well, speaking of a wonderful audience and just amazing engagement, we have the most wonderful sponsor to talk about. We do. And actually, I, I just found out that they're going to be sponsoring other episodes of us. I'm very excited. What? You know, there's That's... nothing better than a return sponsor. There really so, isn't. And, and we, love really our, isn't. we love our friends at GoToWebinar. Robert, did you know that webinars are consistently rated as the number one marketing tactic for lead generation with over 60% of all marketers utilizing webinars? Did you know this? I did know that. You, you I, should, because I've been that, talking about it. I've been reading that ad copy for a couple of weeks <laughs> exactly. now, and so I do actually of course, know that. But here's the, here's the thing that makes me cry a little bit on the inside. Many businesses still struggle with how to find their target audience and deliver the right message leveraging webinars. They just don't do it well. You and I have been on many, many really horrible webinars. Not CMI webinars, other webinars that are, that are not very good. So following... A simple five-step plan. The keys to using webinars for successful lead generation go from, here it is, daunting to doable. Hashtag daunting to doable right there, folks. Hashtag daunting to doable. We've got your solution right here from finding your audience. I got your solution. I got your solution right here. I got your solution right here in my pocket. From finding your audience (laughs) and developing engaging content to authentic interaction and webinar promotion. You'll discover the five steps to attract your target audience to your next webinar. Here we go. Let's do this. Read the ebook at bitly.com slash go to webinar dash attract dash audience. That's bitly.com slash go to webinar dash attract dash audience. And that's the five steps to attract your target audience to your next webinar. We really appreciate you supporting our sponsors because. It helps us, uh, you know, get up every day and do this thing for you guys. And Absolutely. if you keep, if you enjoy this, um, then support them. And if you don't, <laughs> right. then we won't see it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> we won't talk to you again. So there you go. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much to go to webinar. That's just such a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I'm so glad they're coming back. It's just Damn. fantastic. Maybe we're doing something right. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe just, we're doing something maybe. right. Okay. Yeah. It is now time for your favorite part of the show, folks. It's our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that makes us feel like we've just gone to South by Southwest and seen President Obama or makes us feel like that hangover um, after the party where we went to go see President Obama at South by Southwest. And so let's see. I guess I go first because I have this old marketing. That is correct. You're up first. All right, I have a very short rave and then a bit of a commentary um, that I'll talk about. I don't know whether it's a rant or a rave. It's just a little bit of commentary here. But the rave, um, as I mentioned before earlier in the show, so Dos Equis, um is basically – I guess they're rebooting is the best way to um, really talk about this, which is the most interesting man in the world video. Um, And they have basically created – what is so wonderful about this is that when most brands are sort of killing a campaign, they just stop. They just stop doing it. And this has such cultural relevance, even to the point where there are memes based on this guy. Um, they are doing it in a really wonderful way. They've created a YouTube channel. They're, they've created an entire series of videos about how this guy is going to basically get on a spaceship, go to Mars, and it's a one-way mission. And, you know, one of the headlines is, you know, the only regrets he has is the fact that he's never had a regret. I mean, it's just just really great stuff. He's saying goodbye to some of the characters that we've grown to love and some of the commercials. 
I know it's not a lot about content marketing, but it's storytelling and it's just wonderful. And it really teased them up for a reboot. I saw somebody tweet out that said, um, you know, why can't we have the most interesting woman in the world? And I think they can and I think they will. And I think this gives them the platform to continue the idea of the campaign, but do it in a in, in a really wonderful way. So I just wanted to rave about it because if you haven't seen it, it's totally worth a watch. So when, just, when is yeah? Really so, so when is it over? Over? It's happened. It's done. It's, it's done. out. It's yeah. It's the 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 the, the commercials are out. Um, the you know what we'll link to in the sto- in the show notes is this Mashable ar- article that sort of links to a lot of the videos. But I went through to the YouTube channel with that they've created a specific YouTube channel just for the Adios Amigo hashtag, oh, wow. which is the hashtag that they've that they've got going on for this. It's just it's just wonderful storytelling. Yeah. It's just great that they're creating these little videos um, to to do this. Okay, so that's my rave. My my rant or commentary, it's not, it's not really a rant, it's more of a commentary. This comes from uh, smh.com.au, which is an Australian website. And the reason I wanted to talk about this, the article that we'll link to um, is this article that talks about surf stitch. Now, if you remember, Joe, and you've certainly I seen do, me do yes. this in many, many a masterclass, we talked about surf stitch last year um, purchasing uh, two companies, two content companies, and the CEO then saying, basically, we are now an e-content company that has laid in e-commerce over the top of it. And the article here talks about, really, Surf Stitches sort of coming apart at the seam. And I totally didn't mean that pun, but I'm going to totally take it now. But coming apart at the seams a little bit because the CEO is leaving in a very, very surprise exit. Um, The CEO is leaving. And the company has really uh, suffered um, and has lost about 30% of its stock value over the last 12 months um, after these investments into content companies. And, and basically, the Stab and Magic Seaweed were the first two investments of a couple of others that I didn't know about, actually, that had, that had taken place. Um, all told, they, spo- they, they spent maybe right around 50 to $55 million Australian dollars sort of acquiring these companies. The article is pretty one-sided here, I have to say, but it but it goes on and talks about how retail analysts are really questioning these investments in online content, basically following the underperformance of this company and how it's really sort of uh, done quite badly. Um, and the question really is, is this a case of content marketing really failing a company and really failing the, the business, or are there other things at work here? And my commentary here, and I don't really know anything about the Surf Stitch investment and other than the fact that they made it, and I don't know anything behind the scenes of the company or anything like that, but in doing a little research into the company, it seems like they had bigger issues than just content for sure. And the other thing is, is that this brings up a couple of things that people have been emailing me recently about sort of, you know, and we've talked about this. You wrote the article about content marketing is going to get weird this year. We've talked about the content marketing is dead and it's horrible and it's ah, all this thing. And we've made the (laughs) plea in many cases, you know, it's one piece of what you do. It's not replacement for what you do and all that stuff. Anyway, I've gotten a couple of emails and the most a pronounced one I've gotten over the past couple of weeks is the GoPro example. And what happened yeah. with GoPro, if you weren't following, was they didn't have a good quarter either in the last quarter of last year. And so this in January and February of this year, everybody's been questioning about this guy who uh, was the head of content and now went to go be the CEO of uh, the survey. I think it was a survey monkey. Um, and also, you know, basically was this a case of content marketing gone bad because GoPro had put so much investment into content. They have a bad quarter. This guy gets a new job. He gets, quote unquote, put out, et cetera, et cetera. 
my commentary is this about all of these kinds of things. We're going to see more of this. We're going to see we're going to see much more of this over the coming year as content becomes more mature as part of a marketing initiative and we're going to start to see companies that have employed marketing and content fail, quite frankly, and in many cases fail badly. And so the whole point of this, my commentary on this, and this is what I wrote to a couple of people who asked me about the GoPro thing was, look, content marketing is but one piece of the marketing strategy. And when a company fails, we can blame marketing more broadly, or we can blame sales, or we can blame their ability to price the product. And there are all sorts of things that happen because companies fail. Content marketing may be one, a contributing or the major reason that it failed, that doesn't point to the inefficacy of content marketing. That doesn't point to the content marketing being a bad strategy no more than it points to good marketing or good advertising or good product development as a bad strategy. It's the execution of that strategy that's important. In the Surf Stitch article, they talk about how, well, just because you buy a magazine and a couple of magazines doesn't mean you actually own those audiences and can make those audiences buy stuff. Well, no, duh. I mean, did anybody suggest that sanely? That it was good, that that was what's going to happen. You've got to do these things well. You've got to execute against these programs well. It's not just you know to, to quote the Seinfeld thing. It's not just buying the magazine. It's actually doing something with the magazine that makes uh, something successful. All of those things, including the GoPro, including Surf Stitch, and including any other company that buys a content-oriented company. Yes, we will see businesses that fail to do this well and that will fail because they fail to do it well. It's not that all and 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 by the way, when a company soars in, you know, we don't actually get to get give content marketing all the credit either. You know, we don't look at a company's overall performance and say, "Wow, Microsoft is killing it. It's content marketing is the reason." Yep. So nor is it its complete fault when a company sinks. And so that's I, there's there's no real takeaway there other than we need to put a little bit of sanity and pragmatic sort of looks at this to say look content marketing is good it's neither the savior of a business nor is it the devil of the business if either extreme happens and that's i guess that's the end of my comment and 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 by the way that that has happened because content marketing is still relatively new to a lot of these people at least a lot uh, to the to the media I mean, it's been around for a hundred years, but the media has just started covering it. Um, I'm sure, and we should look. At, I'm sure they said the same thing when radio advertising came out or television advertising. Oh, look, it didn't work out. They tried that television advertising thing. Um, so I think we're still at the new part of this. I think in ten years that won't be a question anymore because it's yeah. the newness will be gone from that conversation. Yeah, I, you know, interesting yeah. enough, I have uh, I have a a rave and a commentary as well. So All I don't right. know if we All were right. well, uh, you know, drinking from the same Kool-Aid there, but here you go. Uh, the first one comes uh, compliments of, again, our friend James Gardner. James, double work this week, so great job. Um, and and this is a what I think is a very thoughtful and important article entitled, Facebook is Eating the World. And it comes from the... Uh, <laughs> well, duh. <laughs> exactly. This is, comes from the Columbia Journalism Review, and we'll put this in the show notes. So the article is based off a speech given at Cambridge by Emily Bell, and Emily is director of the Tau Center for Digital Journalism at Columbia Journalism School. And the idea behind this article really positions the future of journalism. It starts by saying 
this. Social media hasn't just swallowed journalism. It has swallowed everything. It has swallowed political campaigns, banking systems, personal histories, the leisure industry, retail, even government and security. The phone in our pocket is our portal to the world. And she says, I think in many ways, this heralds enormously exciting opportunities for education, information, connection, but it also brings risks. And she goes on and talks about these risks, Robert, and saying that we haven't been paying close enough attention to what really happened to publishers with all this. She says, first, news publishers have lost complete control over distribution. We've talked about this in this episode, right? Second, the inevitable outcome of this is the increase in power of social media companies. Of course, Facebook and Amazon and Apple and Google, they control distribution and the flow of information, maybe unlike we've ever seen before. Now, this article goes on to paint a picture where news organizations will stop producing websites or owned applications at all and create their news inside of Facebook, Snapchat, and other apps specifically. We're already seeing this and we're talking about it, but it's just interesting to see that you know it could be in the future that New York Times is just on Facebook, which I shudder to think that. But it's possible that that might happen. Now, uh, Ms. Bell believes there are three options for news publishers here. So one is to push even more of your journalism straight to an app like Facebook and its instant, instant articles where ad blocking is not impossible, but harder than at the browser level. And then one publisher put it, we look at the amount we might be we might make from mobile, and we suspect that even if we gave everything straight to Facebook, we would still be better off. I just think that's interesting. Yeah. The risks, though, in being reliant on the revenue and traffic from one distributor are very high. Now, the second option is to build other businesses and revenues away from distributed platforms. Now, we've talked about this on this show. It's very hard for publishers to come up with new uh, business models like membership, subscription are commonly considered, but this is tough for publishers. Now, the third option, of course, is to make advertising that doesn't look like advertising, she says, and that's what we call advertorial sponsorship, native <laughs> advertising, or whatnot. So we all, she go, she, <laughs> we're the whatnot. Yeah, exactly. Sentence, she, yeah. she basically talks about how BuzzFeed, Box, and hybrids like Vice have already figured out this publishing model, and we're going to see more and more of that. So it's just interesting how she goes through this. So the article's great. I like, I really think that this is sort of a must read now. Um, so read this article if you get it, and I think we need to consider the consequences for the way forward. I, I really believe that um, we could see, we talked about this before, but I think we could see a day when the major media outlets, let's just take the Washington Post that posts uh, almost all of their content onto Facebook instant articles. They yeah. could just say, we're not going to post on our own platform anymore. We're just going to post within the world that for, for distribution and get that. And they have to figure out a new model for, for monetizing that. So that's sort of, I don't like that model. But we were absolutely in that era where we could see that. So that so read the article. It's fantastic. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, that sounds truly it, fascinating. It is. It's fascinating. Yeah. So the second yeah. one, this is just uh I just wanted to put this out there because I thought it was interesting. This is compliments of Claire McDermott, and Claire is chief editor of Chief Content Officer magazine. And during Intelligent Content Conference uh last week, which by the way went fantastically well, and thanks to everyone for who were involved in was involved in that. So she, we were talking about a bot. Bot created content or algorithm created content because, of <laughs> right. course, I brought that up in the opening keynote. You mentioned it a little bit in yours. So, th this is a quiz. This is an older quiz from 2015, but this is a quiz from last year that the New York Times put out regarding eight questions. 
and you have to answer each of these and whether you think they were bot created or human created. So I'll put this in the show notes. Now, Claire scored a perfect 100%. She guessed everyone. I got 50% wrong. Wow. That I couldn't tell the difference. Oh, I have to totally take this quiz. Oh, yeah. man. I actually thought I was right. She thinks I threw it because I told her that bots are taking over the world. Anyways, so I think this is really important because we are in the middle of a huge tidal wave of bot-created content that is about to hit humanity. And, and right. I think about 70%, 70 80% of the abstracts right now on Associated Press go out from bots. They don't touch human hands, which I think is yep. interesting. So. We have choices now to make as brands on how we engage in this content and also how we create con- this content. And I'll just leave this here, Robert. This is my big prediction. I believe that in the next 10 years, there will be a media company or a brand that will differentiate themselves by saying that their content is 100% human created. I, yeah, think that, I think that's right. I think you're and I think, by the way, the other way, the other way around, too. And computer create. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That, I think and you're going to see that first, but then I think yeah. you're going to see a backlash against it. Uh, because as we talked about last week in the book Automate This, where they had the uh, the symphony that was created that was composed by a bot, and the audience loved it when the orchestra played it, and then right afterward, when they found out it was actually an algorithm, they got all upset. I think you're right. going to see a little bit of that AI. Will Smith, I'm sure, is going to play the the leading role in one of these. <laughs> what are these things as we go? So, anyways, Daisy. yeah, exactly. Daisy. So, so that's uh, so that's my take. That my take Baby for the week, and um, and I think you're up with uh, this old marketing. I am indeed up with this Good. old marketing. So I've I've kept this one secret from you because I wanted to ask you um, about it in okay. real time. Oh my gosh! Have you on. ever heard? Of the hydraulic pressed steel company, I don't think I have. No. So I, this, okay. So this is how much I love you, listeners, and how much I love you, Joe. Okay. I spent my Sunday learning about the steel industry in Cleveland, Ohio, and this, and the, and and specifically the early days of the steel industry in Cleveland, Ohio. I mean, I read. I read half a book. I read article after article about this. And I was trying to find the real research behind this company called the Hydraulic Pressed Steel Company, um, which was started in 1907 for the manufacture of pressed steel products. Which, And when you think pressed steel, think the car door or, yeah. you know, sort of really in the automotive industry. In 1907 in Cleveland, this company was started. Um, A thousand people were hired. And so in 1907, that's a pretty big company. 230,000 square feet of floor space somewhere in Cleveland was the big building for the pressed steel plant. Um, And then they started to acquire other companies. And as steel started to become a huge growth industry, they, they acquired and or merged with the Canton Sheet Steel Company, the Cleveland Welding and Manufacturing Company, uh, the Hydraulic Steelcraft Company company and a whole bunch of things. Ultimately, the company, the hydraulic pressed steel company, which retained the name, had about 3,000 people across all of northeastern Ohio there. And, and they made stuff. Uh, they made stuff for the automobile industry. They made pressed, you know, things where you would press the steel out into different fabricated uh, sorts of shapes. So I tell you that story because now I can't find anything of what became of those companies. I mean, I literally scoured the web trying to figure out where did they become part of U.S. Steel or did they become part of Carnegie Steel or – I couldn't find it. I would think Um, it would be LTV, but – 
And, and sure. Metal. You know, or that turned into metal, but yeah. It, go ahead. Yeah. Right. I mean, we get into the real intricacies of the steel industry yeah, exactly. of Northeastern Ohio. But so that's not really the content marketing in the this old marketing example. What I wanted to talk about was this article I found in this really old magazine that we've actually talked about in this show before called The Printer's Inc. And the Printer's Inc. operated from the early uh, 1900s all the way through, I think, up until the Depression. And it it itself was a content marketing um, vehicle. And we talked about it. I can't remember on which episode. But there's an article that I found in the Printer's Inc. um, from 1919. Um, And the article is called Using Art and Type to Build Industrial Morale. And it's about a magazine that the Hydraulic Pressed Steel Company produced for many, many years as it started to acquire these companies. Because at the time, the Hydraulic Press Steel Company wanted to be, as their tagline was, more than a place to work. And so this was a magazine dedicated toward its workers, um, but really distributed among all of the people who worked there and the people in the local community to really understand how great it was in the sort of industry that they were in. And most importantly, celebrating the people of the community. And so they had articles about what was going on in the community. They did feature articles about the people who worked there and what they did with their family and how they were, you know, maintaining the, the, I mean, this is a 1919 article and it's talking about how these people are maintaining a work-life balance and how they actually uh, run their lives and manage their families and do all sorts of stuff. And it was all about celebration of the people inside of Hydraulic Pressed Steel Company. Um, And I highlighted just a couple of pieces here because it's fascinating, one, to read the language being used in 1919. One of the things that they featured in the magazine, which was, you know, produced for many, many, many years, was they had original painters come in. And this guy you might actually be familiar with. I guess he's a famous Cleveland um, sort of American artist. Garrett Benneker is his name. And they actually engaged him to for all the covers for all the covers of this magazine. And he was an original painter and he would go in and paint the workers that were being featured. So they would actually do an original painting for every single cover that they put out for the magazine. And the story wow. is, is that when he came in, they actually had to have the workers come and sit and into a studio that they created for this. And he said, no, 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 I want to actually paint them as they work. So he actually painted them as they were doing their work in sort of real life so that it, it became um, sort of part of the, the magazine. And so... All of the news that they produced was really under the guise, and and, and what I love about this was, this is the article talking about this now. It said, the whole, uh, this is, I'm quoting from the article, the real plant magazine differs entirely from ordinary uh, marketing-produced magazines because the usual magazine is designed to, quote-unquote, sell the merchandise uh, or sell to distributors about its sales force, sometimes to the firm's customers. The modern magazine that we're talking about here is designed to sell the spirit of the corporation to the men who produce the merchandise. That's awesome. It is planned to create and maintain industrial morale to secure the goodwill and the cooperation of the workers. And it has been said that these intangible qualities constitute at least a 25% plant efficiency. And then there's my favorite part of the whole story. So it's a wonderful, wonderful story. And and sadly, I can't link to anything because I found this in this arcane Google Books sort of scan. And and I'll try and put together a link that might be good for the show notes. But the very end of this article is my – it's one of my favorites of all time. The end of the article talks about it, talking about the magazine and sort of the philosophy. And I think it's so – it's such a great message for today and the sort of political and world that we live in right now. Here's the way the article ends. It says – Here, then, is a development in the business of art. 
and the business of art where the type and fit of the challenge is the attention and to help every man interested in making all arts serve a bigger purpose. To interpret men more fully to each other, to carry to the men who produce America's merchandise the spirit which will make them say us instead of them. This is a worthy task of content. Wow. It can make you cry. That stuff's so great. Anyway, that's 1919. Such a wonderful example of this old marketing. I just thought it was great. That's great. Fine. I actually, while you were, uh, I, I found a couple of the, the covers on eBay here. Oh, did which you I'm really? sure you okay. see. Yeah, that's, they're beautiful. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, they beautiful. would stand up today. I'm, yeah. I'm really impressed. Yeah. And by just the way, a, they, they, they have the big hydraulic press steel company logo on it. So yeah. they're being very transparent. Oh, there you go. With, okay, good for you. Good for you. Good that for was you. all. But that was awesome. Yeah. You found that. That's a great. Yeah, it was. A, it's a wonderful it's a example of marketing. marketing. Fantastic. So, so, yeah. where, so what are you up to this week? I travel on Wednesday to uh, our friends in Milwaukee, uh, the BMA Milwaukee. I'll be doing oh, a lunch nice. presentation there. So uh, very nice. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, to going back to my. I, I spent. I used to spend a lot of time in, in Milwaukee because we did a lot of work with Rockwell Automation in the day. Uh, and still have a lot of friends there. So looking forward to, to going to Milwaukee. And, and how about you? What do you got going on? Uh, I am doing a, I am starting a big project with one of our clients. And so this week has all been about getting ready for that big project and interviewing some stakeholders and talking to executives and getting level set on the workshop and the consulting that we'll be doing. So I'll be spending a bit of time with the heads down doing some writing, um, hopefully actually spending a little time recording the audiobook for experiences and getting some time down uh, to be able to do that. But uh, yeah, that's it. And then I start traveling again next week. And then the busy season really starts. And then the busy season begins, yes. April is going to be absolutely cray cray. I think I'm yeah, to. I think I'm I think I'm in Europe four times in the next two months. I think I'm in so, Europe at least twice yeah, in the next three months. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Be, so it'll be, be it'll fun. be really fun trying to coordinate <laughs> yeah, this old exactly. marketing. But we Where haven't missed an episode yet when and we will not zone? miss the no, party. No, we will not. hundred and twenty two straight. We have not oh missed one week and we will continue to plow forward even if people don't want us to absolutely so, right that go. is it for episode 122 this is robert rosen for joe polizzi we are signing off and you know we do love those we do love those story ideas through the hashtag so james and erica thank you so much for those today and you know everybody out there send us the stories hashtag this old marketing on twitter um and uh you know if you've got a question you can always send an email to at this old marketing at contentinstitute.com and if you like this episode number 122 we hope you'll consider subscribing on itunes or stitcher.com and all the links we talked about will be in the show notes that accompany the show on monday night and of course will be available on the show site on saturday at thisoldmarketing.com until next week everybody it is your story to tell tell it well see you next week on this old marketing show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.